So for some time, we were counting to the destruction of the second temple. Um, and we counted this way for a while. We don't know. Uh, we have for a couple hundred years after destruction, we counted the destruction, um, and then it gradually phased out. Um, but the Seleucid Empire, as we said, continued for a very, very long time, the Binyan Shtarot. However, at some time, at some point, it appears to have started based on documents in the four five hundreds, first in what was the Byzantine Empire, which was Israel, modern-day Turkey, Greece, was, in the, was the ancient Byzantine Empire. In the four five hundreds, we started changing and started counting to Yetzirah, to creation. Gradually, with time, as Jews moved to Europe, to Spain, to France, to Germany, in the nine ten hundreds, they all adopted also the counting of creation. Um, as Jews, Jews in Babylon throughout this period were still counting to the Shtarot. We're still counting to the Seleucid Empire. And documents from the 900s, 1000s in Babylon are still counting from the, um, uh, from the Seleucid Empire. By the 11, 1200s, almost every Jewish community had changed to count from creation with the exception of the Egyptian Jewish community that continued until the 1600s and the Yemenite Jewish community which continued until the 20th century counting from the Seleucid Empire. So gradually we changed. Why did we stop counting from the Seleucid Empire, a number that we had been using for almost a thousand years and um, in places we use it for even longer? Why do we stop counting from the Seleucid Empire and go back to counting from creation? The obvious reason is that the Greek Empire was gone. They were long, long gone. It's a good answer. However, it doesn't explain we continued using it for hundreds and hundreds of years after that empire was gone. And interestingly, not only Jews used it, non-Jews in that region also continued using it for a very long time. So it was a very standard, normal way of counting. Um, so why did, we, why did we switch? It's not clear why. But one theory is that, it has a, that it's connected to the creation of a Jewish calendar. Historically, we Jews had a Supreme Court or a Sanhedrin. The Supreme Court was the final authority on all matters of Judaism or <coughs> Jewish law. But one of the central roles of the Supreme Court was to create the calendar. The role of the Supreme Court was every month to declare a new month. And every year to declare whether it's a leap year or a regular year. So essentially, they created the calendar month by month. There was no long-term calendar. You couldn't print calendars. You couldn't calculate. It was calculated month by month. That was the role of the Supreme, Court, this Supreme Jewish Council. This Supreme Jewish Council was disbanded in the 300s due to Roman persecution. After it was, when it was disbanded, the last action that they did was create a permanent Jewish calendar a long-term Jewish calendar that can be used and you can calculate the Jewish calendar for many years to come. Now the Jewish calendar, which I believe we once did a class on, I think it was about a year ago we did a class on, is somewhat complicated. It's somewhat complicated, the Jewish calendar. The Jewish calendar is calculated based on the positions of the sun and the moon. So unlike the Gregorian calendar, which has a couple very simple rules, once you know the rules, you don't need to know where the sun and the moon are. It will just line itself up. The Jewish calendar, you have to know every year and every month, well, really every year, where the sun is and where the moon is. And it's based on calculating. If you want to calculate a calendar going 
forward, or for that matter, going backwards, you have to know the position of the sun and the moon every single year. Or more accurately, on Rosh Hashanah, on the first, um, on, you have to know more accurately where the sun and the moon is on the first um, new moon of the fall every single year. So, so in order to calculate that, you have to have some knowledge on the, about the sun and moon cycles, <coughs> which are fairly consistent and fairly predictable, exactly the sun and the moon, because they move in a very, very predictable way. Um, 365 and just under a quarter days is the sun. The moon cycle is a little more than 29 and a half days. So we know we're pretty accurate on the cycles of the sun and the moon, but you have to be able to calculate it. So in order to calculate it, you have to have a starting point, And you know every moon cycle takes exactly this length. Every sun cycle takes exactly this length. And while the moon cycle itself actually has variations, but there's, a, there's, an, there's actually an average that's very, very accurate that we have. So if you have a starting point, then you can calculate any new moon and any um, sun position for any year going forward. The starting point they made for the calendar was creation, the year of creation. Given that that was the starting point for the positions of the sun and the moon for the calendar, so therefore it could have, in theory, you could have used any year for starting point. They used the year of creation. So you then have to calculate creation based on how many, the positions of the sun and the moon for any given year based on how many years have passed since creation. Since you need to know the number of years that have passed since creation, according to our tradition, therefore they began to count in general in documents using the years from creation. That's at least one theory as to why we switched to counting the years from creation. So that's how we got to our current system of 5778 years from creation. We began to count from creation starting in the 400s, three 400s or so. Um, gradually, Jewish communities changed from earlier counting forms, most popular of which was the um, Seleucid counting or Minyan Shtarot. And the reason theory for it is because of the permanent calendar that we now have. Now the question is, how did we decide that we are now 5778 years from creation? Maybe it's 5779 years. Maybe it's 5777 years. How do you know how many years it's been from creation? So here we have a system called Jewish chronology. And we'll go through the details. And as we'll see, that 5778 is a pretty amazing number. Although there are some gray areas and there may be some doubt as to whether 5778 is really accurate or not. Regardless, that is the year that we use and that is the accepted year. So the most important book that we have of ancient Jewish chronology is a book called Seder Olam, which literally means the order of the world. It is the first comprehensive book of Jewish chronology. It was written in the late 2nd century, the late 100s, by this great sage, Rabbi Yossi ben Chalafta, who lived in the land of Israel in the second half of the 2nd century. And he goes through a chronology or an order of history using years, starting from creation, going all the way down to his day, or down to the destruction of the 2nd temple.
So we're going to go through that chronology um, fairly quickly to explain to you how we got to the year 5778, how when they began counting the years from creation, about the three four hundreds of the common era, we knew, which was already more than 4,000 years after creation, we knew how many years it was from creation. So we're going to show you how we got to that calculation and where there may be discrepancies. So the easiest part is the beginning. The easiest part is going from creation all the way through Abra to Abraham. Why is that easy? The Torah, at the beginning of the book of Genesis, the Torah at the very beginning of the book of Genesis goes through a list of 20 generations from Adam all the way to Abraham. It gives us lists of 20 men that lived, fathers and sons, going from Adam all the way to Abraham. And the Torah then tells us how old each one was when their child was born. Clearly, the Torah wants to tell us how many years Abraham was born after creation. So we can add them up easily. And if we add up all the years starting from creation, if Adam was born in the year zero, and if you want to follow the charts that I have, I am using the second number from the left, which I'm calling here Seder Olam. I'll soon explain the number on the left. Um, Adam was born in the year, created in the year zero. If we start with zero, then if we add up all the numbers, 10 generations later, Noah was born, was born, the flood was, in, Noah was born in the year 1056, and Noah was 600 years old during the flood, and the flood was in the year 1656. Now I should note that in the early part of Genesis, when describing these 20 generations, people lived very, very long. They lived up, up almost up to a thousand years. And most people lived till their 900s. And most people had children when they were close to 200 years old. So that is how Noah was born 10, a thousand years after Adam, but only 10 generations later. And now after the flood, that age goes down dramatically. People began having children. Um, in their 30s, 40s, so it changes quite dramatically till the age of Abraham. By the age of Abraham, people are not living anymore to 900 years, but people are still living longer lives, describing the Torah, than we live today. Abraham lives to the ripe old age of 175, his son Isaac 180, about double what today we would consider a significant lifespan. Moses lives to 120, so they live quite significantly longer than today. We could say about double what we would consider today. So, but if we add all those years up, we get to the flood being in the year 1656, from when Adam was created. And Abraham is then born in the year 1948 after creation. Now, Abraham, at the age of 75, is told to move to Israel, which is to the promised land. God says, I want you to leave your land, your birthplace, and move to the promised land. That would be the year 2023. He's 75 years old at the time. When he's 100 years old, Isaac is born. Now, here comes the tricky part. We know Jacob, Isaac, um, Isaac was 60 when Jacob is born. So that would have been... Um, the year 2108. Um, 
Then Jacob is 130 years old when he moves with his family down to Egypt where his son Joseph had been in Egypt. We spoke about that a couple weeks ago. And that was, would have been in the year 2238 after Adam. Now, here comes the tricky part, and this is in this week's Torah reading. So in 2238, they come down to Egypt. The Torah says in this week's, week's reading that they were in Egypt for 430 years. That would make the Exodus, if they came down in 2238, that would make the Exodus in 2668. Now there's a slight discrepancy over here because Abraham was actually given a prophecy much earlier, at the very beginning of Genesis. Abraham is given a prophecy where God tells him, your children will be slaves in Egypt for 400 years, 30 years off. That would make the Exodus in 40, 2638. There's one problem with either of those numbers, putting Israel as in Egypt for 400 years or 430 years. And this problem was already mentioned um, in the earliest Midrashim. It's a very easy to spot problem. There's a big problem with this number, 400 years and 430 years. And that is, the Torah tells us that Levi, Levi was one of Jacob's 12 sons, comes down to Egypt with, and it lists the names of all the grandchildren that came down to Egypt with Jacob, great-grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And Levi comes down to Egypt with his son Kehat. Kehat was one of Levi's children, his, the oldest of his children. Uh, sorry, the, the um, second oldest of his children. Comes down to Egypt with Kehat. The Torah gives us an age as to how old Kehat lived to. He lived to the ripe old age of 133 which was normal for Torah ages back then. It then gives us an age for his son. His son Amram lives to the ripe old age of 137. Amram is Moses' father. Moses leaves Egypt. He starts his career when he's 80 years old. He leaves Egypt at the age of 80. Now, Kahat, his grandfather, came with Jacob down to Egypt. His grandfather lived 133. His father lived 137. Moses, Moses was 80 when he left. If you add all those numbers up, 133, 137, and 80, not even counting for all the overlap, it's 350. You don't get the 400. And this is a problem in general. Moses is a fourth generation from Jacob's children. Fourth generation from the children of Jacob. Third generation from the grandchildren that came down to Egypt. All of the elders described during the Exodus, all of the elders, whether Moses' cousin Korah comes into play later, um, Aaron's brother-in-law Nachshon, um, another brother-in-law Caleb, lots of all the elders whom we know their genealogy are all fourth generation from Jacob's children. Fifth generation from Jacob. They're all great-great-grandchildren. No way you can have 400 years, ba even based on their long lifespans where they were living 130 years. Um, no way you can have fourth generation in 400 years. So clearly that number 400 is not, all 430 is not accurate. It's not even close. Seder Olam therefore tells us 400 years started from the first of Abraham's children. God told Abraham, not that your children will be slaves in Egypt for 400 years, your children will be slaves in Egypt, 
and 400 years after you have a child, they will leave Egypt. So 400 years starts when Isaac was born. Isaac was 60 when he had his son Jacob. Jacob was 130 when he went down to Egypt. Together, 60 and 130 makes 190. That leaves 210 years left until the Exodus. They were only in Egypt 210 years. That would mean that the Exodus, according to Seder Olam, was in the year 2448 from Adam. 210 years after Jacob came down to Egypt in 2238. What about, why then does the Torah say they were in Egypt for 430 years? How did that, where did that number come from? Where does the number 430 years come from? Why are you making it so, Seder Olam tells us, Seder, and this, this detail that they were in Egypt for 210 years is found many, many, many times throughout the Midrash and Midrashic era literature, in other words, literature that we have from that period, from the 100s, 200s. Um, many, many times it mentions this fact that Israel was in Egypt for 210 years. We have no other number given. It's a standard. Also, the fact that Israel left based on this calculation 2,448 years after Adam was created is also mentioned many, many, many times. It's a standard. There is no other reference in our early um, literature to any other numbers other than 210 years being in Egypt. So we can take that as a given that all Jewish scholars, at least when we have, when, from when this was first discussed in the um, one, in the 100s, 200s, 2,000 years ago, it was, there was a Jew, uh, Jewish consensus throughout by all Jewish scholars that they were only in Egypt for 210 years. Why then does the Torah say 430? If, they were, if the 400 years starts from Isaac's birth, why 430 years then? Where does the, four, where does the 30 years come from? So Seder Olam says, very simple, 430 years from God's promise to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham that he, will, um, that he will get the promised land and his children will go to Egypt and he will take them out with great wealth and they will come to the promised land. That was 30 years before Isaac's birth. Now, that's the accepted answer, standard answer. Later commentaries pointed out a big problem with this answer. There's a problem with this answer, which is Abraham was how old when he went to the promised land for the first time? 75. How old was he when Isaac was born in the Torah? 100. He lived in Israel for 25 years. If his prophecy about getting the promised land was five years beforehand, that means he got the prophecy before he even went to Israel. So firstly, the Torah would be out of order, which is not the end of the world because there's other parts of the Torah that we know to be out of order. But also, how can God tell Abraham, I'm giving you this land, if he wasn't there yet? He wasn't even in Israel yet. So some commentaries say, well, he must have gone to Israel, gone on the prophecy, gone back home to where he lived in northern Syria, in Haran, and then later God told him to go to the promised land. That's the only way to explain it. Others suggest that we must then say um, uh, Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, gives a very famous answer. He suggests that we must say 430 years was from Isaac's birth. 
the 400 years that God told Abraham was an average, and then they're actually in Egypt, not 210 years, but 240 years, which would change our whole chronology and our whole counting system if we took that approach. Another approach taken by Rabbeinu Asher, a Spanish rabbi from the, from the Middle Ages, is that God gave this prophecy to Abraham as soon as he arrived in Israel at the age of 75, 25 years before, um, 25 years before um, Isaac was born, 25 years before Isaac was born, but while God told, but there was five years, so indeed, they were indeed, um, they were in Egypt then would have been for 215 years, not 210 years. How then, why then do we say that, why then did God tell, tell Abraham they will be in Egypt for, or they, they will exit Egypt 400 years later, not 400 and, uh, not 400 and five years later, because it was five years more. So he says that's because there's five years that don't count because there were five years when Joseph was king during the famine and he was taking care of his family and life was wonderful and that doesn't count as, the five, as part of the years of suffering. And so therefore it was really five more years. Again, if we add five years and say they were in Egypt for 215 years and not 210 years, it will destroy our whole chronology. This year would not be 2778, but it would be 2783. So those were answers, though, given many, many years later, once this number already became a standard. Again, in the 100s, 200s, for a very long period, the fact that our ancestors were in Egypt for 210 years was, there was a consensus by all Jewish scholars. There was, no other, there was no other view that we know of. We have no other record. So... Let's assume now they, they left Egypt, therefore, in 2448 after Adam was born. They then arrived in Israel 40 years later because they wandered for 20 years. They entered the Promised Land in 2488. The next number that we have is a very important number. As we mentioned, the Book of Kings says that Solomon began to build his temple 480 years after the Exodus. So all we have to do is take 2448 and add 480 years. And we get 2928 as the year that Solomon, um, that's the year that Solomon began to build his temple, right? Um, 2448 plus 480 is 2928. So we know what year Solomon began to build his temple. We have no other source for this date. We have no competing source for this date. We're going to take it as a given. Historians debate how it happens and then whether the, that would date back the correct date for the Exodus. Um, historians debate it. But from our Jewish traditions, that is the only date we have for the beginning of the temple. We will go with that date. We always have. That's always been a standard that the first temple was built in 2928. After that, we have great details of all the kings and how long each king lived. And we actually had two kingdoms. So we actually could match up both kingdoms, how long each kingdom was. So we actually have very good dating after that in the Book of Kings. And we have another book that has the same dating, the Book of Chronicles. So we have great dating after that. Um, the first temple, until the destruction of the first temple, was a period of 410 years. 
more accurately, the, um, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, first came and attacked Jerusalem and captured Jerusalem 18 years before the destruction of the temple, or 392 years after Solomon began building his temple, in the year of 30, in the year 3320. 3320, um, 392 years later, um, was the first exile to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. 18 years later, or 410 years after the building of the first temple in 3410, um, or, uh, sorry, in 3408, um, uh, 30, uh, 3338, sorry, I'm reading the wrong numbers, was, the first temple was destroyed and all of Israel went to exile. Now, here begins a little bit of controversy. So we know what year the temple was destroyed. We've got that pretty accurate. Um, 33... 38 years after, uh, 33, 38 years after um, Adam was created. Now, the book of Jeremiah tells us that they will be in Babylon for 70 years. And indeed, 70 years exactly after the first exile, Cyrus, who has now conquered the Babylonian Empire and is king of Persia, um, begins rebuilding the second temple in the year 3390, exactly 70 years after the first exile. After the death of Cyrus, his successor, um, Assyrus, stopped the building of the temple. It was stopped for a period of 18 years. It was then resumed by Darius II, um, exactly 70 years after the destruction in 20... in, in the year... 20, uh, sorry, 3408 was the year the building of the second temple resumed by Darius II. And the book of Ezra actually tells us they started building exactly, the, the, the temple building was resumed exactly 70 years after the temple was destroyed. Exactly as Jeremiah had said. That's what it says in the book of Ezra. So we have a, bil a, uh, we have a number for when the second temple began. Now, Now, we began counting what we call Minyan Shtarot. We began counting the number of the Seleucid Empire in the year. Year one of the Seleucid Empire was 3311 BCE, or in the years from creation, 3448, or 40 years after the Second Temple was built. Which means that we, our tradition is telling us that Forty years after the second temple was built, the Greeks had already captured the Persian Empire, and Alexander had already been assassinated, had already died, and um, the Seleucid Empire had already been established. Forty years after the second temple was built, now this um, this is somewhat controversial because this is our Jewish tradition, and in fact. Our Jewish tradition tells us, our Jewish tradition tells us that from the period of the end of the Babylonian Empire, which was just 19 years before the Second Temple was built, until the Seleucid Empire began was fairly short. Until it was only 62 years. Alexander ruled for 10 years over the Persian Empire after he conquered it. 
the entire length of the period of the Persian Empire was only 52 years, our Jewish tradition tells us. And this is somewhat backed up by our scripture in a number of places, that the Persian Empire was a very short empire, lasted for a total of 52 years. The big problem with this is that we also have Greek records of the Persian Empire. We have extensive Greek records of the Persian Empire, just like we have extensive Jewish descriptions of the Persian Empire. Only that the Greek <laughs> records of the Persian Empire describe it as a very, very long empire, lasting for more than 217 years. A more than 200-year empire that our Jewish books say is only 50 years. So while we counted only while well, we counted only 40 years from the beginning of the Second Temple until the beginning of the Seleucid Empire, which the beginning of the Seleucid Empire is something that we know with absolute accuracy because we have so many recorded documents uh, that date it and that often have other dates on them as well, so we have that with absolute accuracy. Um, we have real documents that have survived. Um, we date for the building of the Temple 40 years before the, the beginning of the Seleucid Empire. Um, the Greeks the Greeks have an extra 165 years. Uh, they would say that then that our temple would have stood, or whatever our temple was built, 200 years before the Seleucid Empire began. This, this, and, but our traditions are very clear. So this is the famous challenge of the missing 165 years. This is one of the greatest riddles of history. How the Jews and the Greeks both have extensive written records and our extensive written records contradict to the point that we're missing 165 years. And there have been multiple, um, multiple accounts of how to resolve this contradiction. Multiple different theories have been put forward. This contradiction, by the way, the first one to note this contradiction um, was, um, I think his name was Avadja um, uh, Di Adomi. He was a... a Roman rabbi, uh, rabbi lived in Rome, uh, or the Roma. He lived, I think, in the 1400s. He was the 1500s. He was the first one to note this contradiction. And this contradiction has been known for a very, very long time. And many, many, many historians have tried to resolve this contradiction till today. Um, but all of the resolutions have problems with them. And ultimately, we cannot easily, we don't have an easy answer to this surprising contradiction as to how many years it actually was. But our tradition is that the second temple was built 40 years before the Seleucid Empire began. How long did the second temple last? So after the Seleucid Empire, the second temple continued for another 380 years, or in total lasted for um, 420 years. That would mean that it was destroyed in the year, according to Seder Olam in the year 3828, according to Seder Olam. Now, um, this corresponds to the year 3828, corresponds to se um, the year 70 in our current, um, in our common era, in our current counting. And I should point out that Maimonides has, is, has a different counting Maimonides believed 
um, based on his reading of Seder Olam and other documents from that period, that um, the destruction of the temple was actually one year earlier, 3827, as the second temple, and he believes that the destruction of, um, that, that would be the Gregorian year of 69. Um, the, both Jewish records and um, Greek records um, pretty much point to it being the year 70. So, um, and most Jewish scholars were of the view that it was in the year 70 or 3828 after Adam. However, we should note that there is some level, there is the view of Maimonides who believes that it actually was one year earlier. It make, has no impact on our chronology because Maimonides agrees with the overall chronology that we have. Um, he agrees with the counting of um, the Minyan Shtarot, the number for our documents and um, so he, he definitely um, doesn't doubt that or dispute that whatsoever. It's just an actual questioning when the actual destruction happened. So the Seder Olam puts the destruction of the Second Temple in the year 3828, which is the equivalent of the year 70 in our, in our Gregorian year, our Gregorian counting. Then they didn't have the Gregorian, but in our current counting, that would be the year 70. Now, we know... This Hebrew year is the year 5778. It is the Gregorian year of 2018. As you'll note, um, although the beginning of our years are three months off, because we start the year in September in Rosh Hashanah, they start the year in January. But other than that, once January 1st comes, are the units or the single digits will always line up, right? 5778 and 2018. The units, the single digits between the Gregorian calendar and the Jewish calendar from creation always line up. But the destruction, as we said, was in the year 3828, which is the year 70. They do not line up. So how do we have the year? How do we have the year that does line up today? Where did this two year we're two years off? Where did that two years get changed? So the answer is very simple. We actually today, when we began in the 400s or so to use a, year, a calendar from creation, we actually do not use Seder Olam's calendar. There, we actually do not use, use Seder Olam's calendar. And we have our calendar that we use today, known as the calendar from creation, it actually has two discrepancies with Seder Olam's calendar, each one one year, which explains for the two-year discrepancy with the book Seder Olam. Number one, which year do you start from? Seder Olam start, starts from the birth of Adam. Adam was born, was created, he wasn't born, he was created on Rosh Hashanah, which was the new year, on Rosh Hashanah, in the year, in, uh, at, the, of the first, at the beginning, right? He's created on Rosh Hashanah. However, according to our account of creation, Adam was created on day six of creation. There were five days of the year beforehand. In Seder Olam's counting, Seder Olam doesn't count that previous year at all. That would have been the year before creation. He doesn't count, he's counting from Adam. Our current counting year counts from creation. Counts from the year beforehand. Now, 
In order to count from creation, we have to go back to the Rosh Hashanah, the year of creation. Now, that didn't exist according to our account that the world only began five days before Rosh Hashanah. So we call that Olam Hatou, or the non, uh, sorry, Shnas Hatou, the non-existent year. It was a year that didn't actually exist. We only had five days in existence. But we count that year as year one. That was the first year. And we actually count that year. We have a name for the year. The year of the year beforehand is either called the non-existent year, Shnas Hatou, or it's called sometimes by the name Baharad. Why is it called Baharad? Um, those are numbers, not Hebrew letters. In Hebrew, all the numbers, all the letters can also be numbers. Bet is the number two, which represents the day of Monday. Hey is the number five, which represents five hours. And Rage Dalit represents 204 of the 180 part hours that the Greeks used to use to count hours. And that was the new moon of the Shnas Hatohu, of the year from before creation, was on Monday, five hours after sunset, 204. 180 parts into the hour. That was when the new moon appeared, or when the new moon was there in that year that never actually existed. The, um, the next year is what we, we call it, we call it um, Viyad, Vav stands for six, um, because then, created, then the new moon would have been on day six, on Friday. And it would have been, four, Yad stands for Yudalot of 14, 14 hours after sunset, or two hours after sunrise. When was the Torah uh, brought to us? What year was that? In Seder Olam's year, 2448. In, in, in our years, 2450, in our Gregorian calendar, 1311 BC. Yeah, the same year as the Exodus. So that's one discrepancy. The other, that's why we are one year ahead of them, because we start one year earlier, ahead of Seder Olam. The other discrepancy is the old question of where to begin. Does anyone remember when we had the millennium, the year 2000, and we had those big celebrations, everyone thought the world was going to come to an end because of Y2K, and we had those big celebrations for the millennium, um, and everyone had big parties, it was the new year, and then we had these geeks who were telling us, you're celebrating the wrong year. The millennium doesn't begin on January 1st, 2000, but it begins January 1st, 2001. Now, the reason for that is that our Gregorian calendar that we currently use doesn't have a zero after it starts in the year one. So therefore, 2,000 years is at the end of the year 2000 when you begin on January 1st, 2001. And they're actually technically correct. And, the, and you all celebrated the wrong year. Nobody listened for some reason. And, and indeed, when we go back before year one, we go back to BCE or BC. And B, after year one, we go to minus one. There's no zero. There's no zero. We go to minus one. So when you start a calendar, you could always start with the year one, or you could start with the year zero. Seder Olam began its calendar with the year zero. Adam died when he was one, 930 years old, starting with zero. He was counting his age from zero. He was 930 full years. 
starting at zero. So Seder Olam's counting, which began with Adam's birth, starts with Adam being born in year zero. So it starts with a zero. The Bahara, the our counting system, though, similar to the Gregorian counting system, our current counting system has no year zero. You add an extra year. So because of those two discrepancies, because we started a year earlier, and we started with year one, so Adam was then created in year two. So we're two years up on Seder Olam. So in Seder Olam's counting, our current year would be 5776. But in our current counting, we count our year is 5778. Now, because of all these discrepancies, it's very hard to know how accurate our number is, um, even without getting into the historical. This is all just from Jewish sources, without getting into other non-Jewish historical sources, without getting into evolution. We don't know how accurate that number is. However, if you look at traceable events in our history, there's actually an amazing amount of accuracy here. And this is phenomenal. This is just amazing. There's some things that we can be very certain about. One, of the, one thing that we can be absolutely certain about is the position of the sun and moon. Those things don't change. Those things are predictable, going back thousands of years and millions of years, going forward millions of years. They're highly predictable. So we know exactly where the sun was at any moment. Interestingly, using these, um, using the sun and moon, we see our calendar is amazingly accurate. Let's start with the year of Adam's birth. The Midrash tells us Adam was created on Friday, which was Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the new year. It's also, we celebrate the new year on Adam's birth. It is also the new moon, right? Rosh Hashanah is the first of the month. It's the new moon of the fall. The new moon after the fall, after the, um, the uh, uh, after the fall equinox. And so it's a new moon. And um, Rosh Hashanah, of, we're told Adam was created two hours after sunrise. That's what the Midrash says. Now, if we actually go back and look when the new moon appeared, when, well, it's not, you can't see it in the sky during the day, but when the new moon would have been there, it was actually in that first year of creation of Adam, which is year two according to our current counting, if you go back. In year two, the moon was there on, the new moon was on Friday, exactly the moment Adam was created, two hours after sunrise. Exactly. Now, the moon only, the new moon only appears on the hour, to be exactly on the hour, only happens once every 72 years that there's a new moon on the hour. It only appears on the hour in full every 72 times 12 years. So every 1,080 years. Only once every 1,080 years does it appear on the hour in full. And that year, the moment Adam was created, there was a new moon. We know that. Amazingly accurate. The Torah tells us from later descriptions in the Torah about Shabbat, we know that the children of Israel left Egypt on a Thursday. They left Egypt on a full moon, the 15th of the month. Our monks follow the moon. We know they left Egypt on the night of a full moon. That Wednesday night would have had to be a full moon. We could go back to that year. We know the year from creation. 
We know in our current Jewish counting, the year of the Exodus was 2450 or 1311 BCE. We can go back and count, and we know there was actually a new moon that, sorry, the full moon that night that they left Egypt in the year 1311, the full moon, the first full moon in spring, was on a Wednesday night. Phenomenal. Then this continues. They entered Israel 40 years later. We're told they entered on the 10th of the month of Nisan, um, which was on a Tuesday, according to the book of Joshua. Now, if the 10th of the month of Nisan was on a Tuesday of that year, then the new moon, Rosh Chodesh, or the first day of the month, would have been on a Sunday, right? Which means the first new moon would have had to be visible Saturday night, right? Saturday night, because we start our days in the evening. The new, the new month would have began Saturday night, which means the new moon would have had to have been after, well, before Saturday night, right? The new moon would have to be, because you have to see the new moon, you have to be able to see the new moon before the first day of the month. So the new moon would have been before Saturday night or Friday night or Saturday. And indeed, because you, you could only see a new moon the first half hour or so after sundown, as a rule. So, so indeed, the new moon that year, the first new moon in spring of the year 4490 or 20, 1271 BCE was on a Friday night. So the first of the month would have then been on a Saturday. They would have entered, uh, they would have entered Israel indeed on a Tuesday on the 10th of the month. Another amazing thing. We're told that in one, of, in one of Joshua's battles, one of the most phenomenal stories told in, miracles told in the Torah, is when Joshua was battling the Canaanite kings later in, um, in the book of Joshua. He's battling the Canaanite kings. And he's winning the battle, but the sun is setting, and they're fleeing the battle. And so Joshua says, Shemesh begivon dom, sun stop. Stop where you are, don't set. And the sun stopped and didn't set and allowed him to vanquish his enemies and kill the Canaanite kings in the ark. Now, our tradition tells we know that this was on the third of the month of Tammuz. That's the Hebrew month, that, that's the date that we are given. The Hebrew date, the third of the month of Tammuz of that year. We are, we are told, uh, our tradition is that the day that Joshua told the sun to set was the longest day of the year, it was the summer solstice, and it was still too long. If you actually go back to that year, to um, 1271 BCE, on what would have been the third of the month of Tammuz, or three days after the new moon, right? three months after the spring, um, we could, that actually was the day of the summer solstice that year. So we actually have amazing records that we can backdate, and we actually see that there seems to be an amazing accuracy to our calendar. So, um, so it's, it's an amazing thing to, um, to remember and to think. If we, we don't know for sure, there's all these qu historical questions, but we actually have all these amazing accurate, um, all these amazing signs that we actually can go back and see these things are actually accurate, every single one. Whether accurate or not, we have been using this calendar for 
at least 1,600 years, our current calendar, and we, it's built on chronology that we have rec recorded from when the Torah was given over 3,300 years ago. And our calendar goes back, um, amazingly, 5778 years. It is the oldest calendar that we know of. We do not know of any calendar that predates our calendar. The oldest calendar after the Jewish calendar is the Mayan calendar. And the Mayan calendar starts about 650 years after ours. And no one's using it anymore. <laughs> We're the, uh, definitely by far the oldest calendar in use. So whether that number is accurate or not, what is most amazing about it all is that we are still here, still using this calendar, still counting to it, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. And it is really thanks to us and our people and the greatest miracle of all, and perhaps the greatest um, miracle that exists is the very fact that we as a people, despite being small, despite being persecuted, despite being a minority, we have survived and thrived and who we are with our same tradition, with our language, with our same teachings, which are with our same calendar for more than 3,300 years and we are still counting.